0: You listening to Trek FM? these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored.
1: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Literary Treks. I'm Christopher Jones, and as always, I have with me here, Matthew Rushing. Hello, Matthew.
2: Hey, Chris. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. You know, we're recording just a few days after Christmas here, and had a nice holiday break. How about you?
2: Really nice. Uh, got four days off uh, in a row. So that was really great. Oh, I nice. uh, got a chance to just have a really um, slow holiday. You know, not too much happened. Uh, just a lot of time off, friends and family. And so that was really great. I really appreciated that.
1: Uh, that sounds nice. Four days off in a row is is rare. and It is. Something to, you can really get into something that you want to do for a change instead of feeling rushed about it.
2: Yeah, we really got a chance to um, just hang out. Uh, I had some friends come in from New York and Denver and our close family friends, got to hang out with them on Christmas Eve, um, go to family's house on, on a Christmas morning and um, during the afternoon. And then during the afternoon here in Dallas, it actually snowed, which was quite shocking. Oh, wow. It doesn't happen all that much. But uh, so we actually had a white Christmas here in Dallas. So it was really nice to be able to sit down to the family meal and have the you know the blinds open, and outside it's just become a winter wonderland. So
1: that sounds nice. Yeah, no snow in Tokyo. We we don't get snow very often anymore these these days. Uh, we used to get a bit more in years past, but um, you know Dallas, you guys have that weird weather there, right? It's like it doesn't snow that often, but it snows at inopportune times, like during the Super Bowl a few years ago. Yes, right where. The transportation was just thrown into chaos because the snowstorm Yet,
2: yeah well and and it's one of those things is we have all the huge overpasses that are really high up in the air so they freeze very easily um and so anytime mm. uh it gets really bad it really does shut the city down um and luckily it's been so warm here honestly that it didn't last that long on the ground um on, yeah. on the streets and so you know, most people were fine. Well, and, that's
1: why we great. need shuttlecraft, so we can just fly around, That so we don't have to yeah, worry about anything freezing. Yeah, exactly,
2: or just, can please somebody invent a transporter? Um, that way, you know, <laughs> the Trek FN family can actually go all the way down to Wellington uh, and visit the wonderful new Green Dragon pub, uh, and we can all pretend to be hobbits.
1: <laughs> that sounds like a plan. We, we, we really should do that.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. All right. And
1: while they're there, we can, we can sit around, we can have our drinks, and we can talk about news. And we're going to start off today, and we're going to talk about book news. And for those who, you know, there are a lot of series out these days, uh, the Typhon Pack series, the Destiny series, sometimes it's hard to keep up with each book as they come out. But it looks like, Matthew, here, that there's a solution for that problem coming up for everyone?
2: Definitely is. Uh, they are going to uh, be releasing three ebook omnibuses, um, and they're going to be wrapped around uh, three different series that have been out. Um, so, the Typhon Pact, um, they, they're calling it the Kittimer Chord Saga, and that's going to be comprised of the three most recent Typhon Pact books um, David R. George's Plagues of Night and Raise uh, the Dawn, along with Una McCormick's Brinkmanship which we're just about to talk to Una tonight, so I'm really excited about that. Um, So her book will be available in this series. Uh, Then they created this uh, original series. uh, They called it The Continuing uh, Missions, Volume 1. Um, And uh, this year it's got The Rings of Time by Greg Cox that had come out, um, That Which Divides by Dayton Ward, and then Christopher Bennett's second Department of Temporal Investigations novel, Forgotten History, um, which was fantastic. So uh, that's definitely going to be a wonderful series to collect. And then the Destiny Saga. Have you read the Destiny Saga, Chris? I've
1: read, uh, I haven't read. have read all of it. I've read okay. a little bit. This is uh, with Captain Esri Dax and the Aventine as part of that saga, right? Yes,
2: it is, um, which I'm really, you know, I'm rereading that series and I really love uh Ezri Dax is a captain. She really comes into her own. Uh of course this is the huge series that changed everything in Trek literature uh with the Borg finally been brought to an end. Uh spoiler alert. Um that was a little late there. Um and <laughs> <laughs> A late spoiler exactly. alert. Exactly. Um and also brought in the Titan. So the three captains there, uh Riker, Ezri and and Picard dealing with the Borg in different ways. And so this, I mean, this is the series, you know, if you haven't read Star Trek books in a while and you want to be in the 24th century world, this would, I think, be a great place to start. So I'm really glad that they are collecting this series all together as an ebook series. And hopefully um, these will all be kind of a, you know, one-shot lower price.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to buy the standalone novels I do have the DS9 reboot, the first, was it the first three books, I believe, that they did an omnibus Yes, uh, yes. of those with Avatar, yeah. Yeah, this is kind of nice. Um, of course, these days I prefer to get digital. I have the, the DS9 omnibus, I have it in paperback, and it's, it's really huge. Yeah, which, it is
2: huge. Um, and they had is, really uh,
1: not fun for carrying around on the train in Japan.
2: No, not at all. And they had released the Destiny series as an omnibus in paperback form. And again, like you said, you know, it it looked like a doorstop. Um, and so this yeah. does really give you that functionality. Um, and and great, you know, having three awesome books at a low price, you know, on your e reader available anytime it is the way to go. These are going to be out in January. Um, I'm definitely going to be picking up. Um, I think uh, the Destiny series one for sure. Um, I have all the rest of these. um, And the Destiny series uh, is ones that I had on loan. So uh, I'll be picking that up and be really excited to to finally have that uh, digitally because I have them in paperback and I just don't enjoy reading in paperbacks. So
1: Yeah. Yeah, so this is great. And, you know, you mentioned the Department of Temporal Investigations, Uh, That's a series I really like because I I love, I think sometimes on the shows, time travel is not always handled well, but I love the concept of time. And I think it's great that Christopher Bennett is doing this DTI series.
2: Well, and he does such a really good job of connecting all the different time travel stories and making them seem as if there's some rhyme or reason to them that, you know, they're just not random yeah. occurrences. And and the way he weaves all that together is is masterful. And so if you haven't read this series, you know, pick up those two books themselves because those are fantastic books. And, and they're really something, is as a, as a fan, you can just kind of jump into those two. You don't have to have read anything else. Um, and so that's right. really great, you know, because it's based off the two characters from Trials and Tribulations, Which, you know, who would have thought that those two guys would have been someone I'd want to read about? But if he keeps writing this series, which I do hope he'll write more in later on, um, I'll continue to read them because I'm always having a good time.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So many of the books now, you need to have read other books in order to go to the next book. But these DTI books are something that you can just pick them up and just read them standalone. Uh, especially if you're familiar with the TV series, all the shows, uh, all the time travel episodes, you don't have to, like we were just talking about Destiny, which changed things so much. You don't have to have all that background knowledge in order to enjoy these books.
2: Well, that's true. And and it's one of the things about this year that they are going to have um, a lot of TOS books come out um, and definitely will be books that you probably won't have to have had read everything for. You know, it's usually five-year mission stuff. Easy to jump in and just enjoy. And so uh, I do like that. And of course, you know, with Into Darkness coming, that's probably the main reason.
1: Yeah. All right. So watch for those. Uh, They will be coming out um, in January. Okay, so let's go on to comics now. We just have a little bit of book news this week. We're going to talk a fair bit about comics. Um, The... We're going to talk about December compendiums. Now, of course, we're already at the end of December. A lot of the IDW stuff has been delayed because of the port strike, which we talked about uh, last show. But, Matthew, what do we have coming up here in terms of compendiums?
2: Well, the first one um, was the omnibus that gathers together four TNG graphic novels, The Space Between. Uh, intelligent gathering the last generation and ghosts into one mega book um, and so uh, this will be really cool. Uh, I love when they do this. it gives us a chance uh, to have uh, for those of us who haven't been collecting Star Trek comics for a long time to have all of these comics in one instead of having to go and try and find them you know individually or um, you know find their collected paperback versions this these give us a really nice unique collections um, and so this first one I think is great uh, you know the, the Tng is really big still right now with the the HD releases on blu-ray and so I think this will be something that fans will really enjoy
1: how do you feel about that now for comics that are older and maybe there aren't digital versions I love these compendiums because I can then get those comics onto my iPad but just generally speaking if you have the ability to buy standalones digital or wait and get them as a compendium what do you prefer do you prefer because I personally prefer to have each individual comic or each individual book or each individual movie sometimes as well myself uh, I don't know why I think it's kind of like the collector in me feels that way but how do you feel you know
2: I have um even digitally the first two ongoing volumes um and then the rest of them are just singles as we've been kind of keeping up and doing this show and talking about them. I've needed to read them. And so I haven't been able to wait. Um, I actually, on the, on the other side, I actually prefer the collections because it's just less space. Um, and that mm-hmm. was really especially on the shelf. You know, now that it's digital, it's it's not as, as big a deal for me to just have the the one-off issues. Um it doesn't really bother me at all because it's all the same, really. Um, but uh, I do like, you know, when they take these old comics that might not necessarily be available digitally yet and do put them all together in a really nice, uh, you know, paperback or hardcover form as comics. You know, that's that's great for collectors. And I know that there's tons of Star Trek comic collectors out there uh, who would really like to have this. And so I think these are going to be great... Um, the uh, this compendium is, is going to be a uh, 480 pages. Uh, it's 29.99, um, which I'm sure you know on Amazon you could probably find for less. Barnes and Noble, those kind of places, be selling it for oh, yeah. less. But uh, yeah, I think this is going to be something that that's going to be um big for those fans who just you know, we haven't gotten a chance to get these yet, or maybe we haven't even mm. seen them yet, and with you know. The hype around the next generation specifically right now i think this is a good time for idw to strike
1: yeah definitely now the other thing that's coming out here this uh we talked about this last week a little bit i believe or the week before the newspaper strips by thomas Warkinton. and uh well there's several people involved him uh charman devono ron harris These are those newspaper strips from the late 70s and the early 80s, which I think a lot of people missed. I don't personally remember them because I think they were not in the newspaper in Birmingham where I grew up. And so this is really cool. I'm looking forward to this because for me, it'll be something completely new and a part of star Trek history that I can finally get my hands on.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, honestly for me, um, this is before, uh, I would have been able to read. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> That's true. I'm very excited, you know, e- even though this is going to be something that, uh, that runs, uh, $50. Um, this is definitely yeah. something that I'm really seriously thinking about picking up. Um, like you, I think this would be something great to have on the shelf. Um, You know, I feel like this will work better in print maybe than it would digitally anyway. Um, It'll it'll just look great uh, in in print. And and, uh, it really, you know, honestly, having a newspaper strip is really made to be on a page and not necessarily, you know, a screen. And so I think that this is going to be something that fans are really going to like. And like you said, this is something that hasn't been seen in a really long time. Uh, and a lot of fans just getting into Star Trek, you know, with J.J.'s Star Trek and everything, um, they're looking for stuff to, to get into. And I think this will be fun to kind of see uh, in the same way the, the Marvel Star Wars universe uh, is still around and still people enjoy reading those funny comics then. Um, I think that the same way people are going to really enjoy getting back into these old uh, Star Trek comics that were in the newspaper
1: yeah that that is going to be cool now this is the first volume which is going to include the first ten story arcs, starting with the strip that debuted on december second nineteen seventy nine and running through october twenty fifth nineteen eighty one and uh, this is going to cost forty nine ninety nine as we said so it's it's a little bit pricey. I imagine somewhere like Amazon you'll probably be able to buy this for like twenty nine or 30-something dollars probably. They usually discount these things quite yes. a lot. Um, it kind of reminds me of, I've been buying these for the past few years for my wife because she really loves the old Peanuts strips. They've been doing uh, hardcover books of all the Peanuts strips. Yes, they have. I have a and, couple of those. Yeah, they run, I don't know, maybe, how much are they, I like think they're thirty bucks or so? I think they
2: are ninety nine or 30
1: Yeah, and there are a lot of them. Yeah, I think we have like five or six of them. I don't know how many there are altogether, but there there are quite a lot of them because Charles Schultz wrote peanut strips for so many years. So again, I don't know how many volumes there are going to be here total, uh, but this is going to you know set you back a little bit if you want them. But again, it's going to be a great collector's item. So I am looking forward to that.
2: I do believe uh this is going to be in hardcover and so I think that's one mm-hmm. of the reasons for the the cost being a little bit more right. um but I, I think yeah. like you said just like those peanuts uh collections I mean those are well worth the money um I have the first two mm-hmm. uh I love them I think they're great the the display is awesome uh for them uh, so I, I, again, I I can't see. You know, once you get your hands on this, you're you're definitely not gonna feel like you're wasting your money at all. This is this is gonna be something for no, the I don't think so. for the diehard fan in your life.
1: Yeah, most definitely. So next up, we have the Countdown to Darkness covers. Now we've seen a few. I guess we've seen three of the four covers now. There's the Uhura cover. Which, I believe, was that the first one that was ever shown, was the horror cover?
2: That is the first one that they did show us, I think. Um, That's what I And then thought, they yeah. kind of went back and showed us the Kirk cover. And uh, now we've yeah. seen the Spock cover. Uh, and so our friend mm-hmm. over at uh, 805, I use his site all the time, great guy. Um, but he gave us kind of a mock-up of what we thought the final cover might look like and and he's basing this off of you know with countdown or uh with countdown last time uh nero was the last comic cover uh, because he was the villain so he's put john harrison as the last cover which i'm hoping that he's right because we definitely i think need a background for john harrison um if they give us some kind of uh, you know, if this guy's supposed to come from somehow inside Starfleet, you know, to detonate all that it stands for, uh, I'd really like a little bit of backstory with him. I think.
1: Well, you know, as as Landrew, our TOS editor, Drew Stewart pointed out on the Observation Lounge, the actual canon villain is Doctor Carol Marcus because yes yes i heard she's canon and harrison's not canon and they said that the villain is a canon character so it's we're wondering why dr marcus is there well now you know
2: um i'm wondering then exactly then why she would be screaming in the trailer um and and maybe it's because she had was having a bad hair day she thought and just oh could be you know saw that in the mirror and Blood-curdling scream is is the only answer, probably. So she's like, I cannot carry out my evil scheme with hair like this. uh terrible, <laughs> terrible. Um, hopefully, they have a good barber yeah. like uh, Picard had on uh, Enterprise, yeah. and so she can get that fixed. Yeah, they'll
1: have mutt. I'm sure mutt's there.
2: Yeah, that would be great. Well, yeah. I mean, he's yeah, uh, he's like Boothby. He's been around forever. He's seen everyone. Exactly.
1: So. He's he's the immortal Bolian barber. all right so but uh i i think that yeah there's a good chance that harrison would be the fourth cover i i think part of the point of doing this comic is of course to lead us into the movie and we're gonna need some background i think it's one of those things where if you go into the movie and you don't know anything about harrison you'll be fine the movie will make perfect sense Mm -hmm. to you and you'll enjoy the movie But for those of us who want to know a little bit more, this comic is the way that they can give us that backstory about him. So when we go into the movie, we know a little bit more about why he's doing what he's doing.
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, and it looks like too, it it might be something that would help link us with what's um, being talked about with Pike and Kirk, you know, Pike talking about Mm. how he admires Kirk but he's not yeah. quite sure whether Kirk's going to get everybody killed because he's so arrogant. Um and right. so I, I feel like maybe we might see that mission um in this comic that uh that Pike is talking about. So yeah, that, I really am looking forward to this comic. I, you know, um I think that this is going to far exceed Countdown. Um that's just my guess. And so which I'm hoping it will.
1: Uh let's see what else do we have. Ongoing number 16 is going to be out finally on january 2nd they say
2: which i'm really excited for um i was hoping it was going to be out today i actually uh contacted uh comixology's support department today um asked them when that was to be released um they said that it is scheduled to be the second um as as we said you know a lot of idw's comics got pushed back and so I'm really excited that this will finally be out. Uh, I've wanted to see what's going to happen in this Mirror Universe uh series and so uh, this will be the, you know, the end to this Mirror Universe duology. So I'm really not sure what to expect.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that too and uh for those wondering when we're going to actually go into an in-depth feature discussion about comics on this show. We are planning to do that sometime over the next couple of shows. Uh, We've been waiting for this comic to come out, and then we're going to take on all of the ongoing comics that are retellings or loosely associated with original series episodes and kind of talk about how that series has evolved um, and how it has helped to to branch the Abrams verse off from the prime timeline so that's going to be a fun discussion
2: yeah I think it will be um, you know the, the, mostly I found the comics to be a lot of fun um, I've really enjoyed ongoing so far I, th- I think on a whole it's been a very positive experience uh, and really showing off what IDW can do with Star Trek uh, and so I'm very excited to, to get to talk about that in a few weeks
1: so the next thing that we'll talk about, and I guess the last thing we'll talk about in our news segment today before uh, we jump into the feature and you talk to Una, are uh, two December releases. The first one is the Star Trek 100-page Winter Spectacular which uh, I believe is not available digitally, correct? This is something we have to go pick up in paper?
2: It is not available digitally yet. Um, Now, uh, if you were to look on your Comixology app or um, the Star Trek Comics app, you'll see the summer uh, 100-page spectacular is available digitally. So this will be coming out sometime. Um, I, I emailed them and asked them, and it's somewhere in between... Um, the same-day release and um, not same-day release, honestly. They weren't sure where that's going to fall in. So I'm sure it will come out digitally, but if you get a chance, go to your comic store, pick this up. Uh, it is 100 pages. It's 7.99. dollars It's fantastic. i uh, been reading it right now. I love it. Uh, the first story is about Captain Harriman and Bones uh, just right after the end of Generations um, and dealing with the fallout of losing kirk um and the impact it's having on harriman um you know we never got to see bones in generations so the impact it's uh, have on him losing his best friend um and so uh, I, I just i if if this was the only one in here it would be worth it i liked it that much
1: i never really think very much about harriman stories but yeah that could be quite interesting Well, did they do, do you remember back in the nineties, they did the whole captain's table series Mm -hmm. of novels? There was a Harriman story in that series, wasn't there?
2: He does get his own story. um, And uh, they actually did a lost series uh, or. um...
1: Oh yeah. The lost era. Exactly. They did the
2: lost era and he uh, Harriman has a book as well. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and so reading this comic, I was thinking to myself, wow, I should really go back and, and, um, look for that because I bet it would actually be really interesting because at least in this comic, the way they wrote Harriman was really realistic, just and in, in really down to earth. And, um, by the end of the comic, I was thinking, wow, they could do a whole series with him. And I, I'd want to read, um, I think continue with this crew. And so,
1: and uh, at no point do they call him Stewart, right?
2: <laughs> no, they don't call him Stuart, um, but they call him Bueller, which was really odd. I, it kind of threw me out <laughs> for a second, but then I came right back. it was good.
1: My, my my problem with Harriman, part of the reason I've always had trouble with him as a captain, is that for me, he's always just from Spin City. Oh, That's gosh, yes. my association.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, you're right. Uh-oh. Um I, I remember watching that show and thinking that same thing. Of course, obviously, yeah. I, I, my mind does go to Ferris Bueller's Day Off, um, and I, I can't get that out of my mind. Thinking that you know he he just walked out of that movie. I mean, obviously, he's older, but that's that's automatically why I always had kind of trouble um, getting into him as a character.
1: Well, you should write your own novel. You know, Captain Harriman's Day Off. And uh, that'll help you kind of get that out of your system a little bit.
2: (laughs) Doesn't he he already have that? I mean, he's not... He's only there on Tuesdays, so...
1: That's right. So he can receive deliveries. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, the other thing that we wanted to talk about, we've been wanting to talk about for a while, is Hive. And we've both now read Hive number three, and now we're waiting for Hive number four to come out. And boy, you know... As this series evolves, it becomes more and more interesting and more and more unbelievable at the same time. And uh, before we recorded the show today, I went back and I reread all three of them straight through. And I don't know. What do you think about Hive, Matthew?
2: I like it. And yet it is every single star trek trope i feel like thrown into one series um especially this latest issue um you know we've got time travel um you know in the previous uh episode or issue you had um the borg Trying to join with the Federation like it did in Voyager against species eight four seven two somebody who 's supposedly more powerful, yeah. except that we learned that this was actually just all a ruse by the Borg, so I thought that that yeah. was a nice twist because you thought you knew it was coming and and then you didn 't um, so that was at least nice well that... did
1: you think did you think it was a nice twist after you got to the part, and we should just say spoiler alert here because we 're going to talk about what 's in these three comics for the next few minutes. If you haven't read them, pause, go read them. It'll take you about 20 minutes to read all three of them and then listen to the rest of this. But after you found out that it was all a ruse, did you still think it was a good twist? Because my reaction to it was, okay, we've already done this before. It's Species 8472. It's, you're, you're just taking storylines from stories you've written in the past and you're just reusing them at this point.
2: That's partially my reaction. Um, The other part was, is that, okay, you might trust the Borg at this point in the story because, yes, they have come up against species before that they couldn't beat. Um, And so they might be telling the truth here. Uh, And you would think they'd be telling the truth because you know from Voyager's history that this is possible But I think you're right in the sense that, yeah, we, we have seen this before. And I I think that reading this, I keep kind of comparing it to destiny and what David Mack did in that series with the Borg. Um, and running up against that, um, I'm finding this part just lacking. I mean, it's fun to me to see kind of what, you know, Brandon might have, have created for the end of the Borg in his mind. Um, but I keep running up against that to me. And I've seen, I feel like, the end of the Borg done better.
1: Yeah, this for me... Well, you've got who I call India-married Borg queen here because she's got this gigantic red yes. gem on her yes. forehead. Um, I guess that's... she married to Lacutus because he's the king and she's the queen? Or I don't know uh, what's going on there. I, I, for me, it feels like... You said it's fine. I think that maybe that's a good way to describe it. It is kind of fun to read it, but at the same time, and maybe because it was being written by Brendan Braga who wrote the show, I kind of expect things to be a little bit more rooted in Star Trek as opposed to just this kind of uh, superhero type feel. I feel like Data and Picard here are like superheroes. And the Bored Queen is like, is like the arch the nemesis and it just doesn't feel like a star trek story to me it feels like it's almost like comic form jj movie to me in a way do you know what i mean
2: it's very you know it's very big and expansive and grandiose yeah um and its scope and its and in just even the visuals of the comic um and so it definitely feels more like a jj um, verse uh, but you know I think one of the things that um, I it feels like to me when when William Shatner wrote his books you know oh, yeah. uh, Ashes of Eden and The Return and then all of his others and people kind of like mm-hmm. made fun of him for bringing back Kirk and you know Kirk being the hero and everything like that and Kirk was just basically this action figure in, in, in those books you know he got made fun of for that uh, and that's what ran through my mind when you were talking about Data and Picard just kind of being these action heroes and comic book heroes, mm-hmm. basically. Um, that's a little bit what Hive feels like to me, um, is that, yeah. you know, we're trying to go back and, and just relive the glory days. Except I might not be enjoying this as much as I did Shatner's books.
1: Mm. I think for me in the series, the the first two issues... I felt like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Let's see where it's going to go. And then the third one here kind of jumped the shark for me a little bit. Um, it's so, you know, of course, someone has to go over and and fight. And so that's, of course, going to be Worf, who goes over to the Valdranai ship to fight them. Um You've got the, we talked about earlier how Worf would always just kind of show up in the Next Generation films. Yes. Um, At least here, Riker just shows up as well, but at least the Titan is in the battle. Exactly. There's a reason for him to be there. And we wish that in First Contact, Riker had already been captain of the Titan. He had already moved on, had his own ship. The Titan was part of the battle, just like the Defiant was. And he had to come aboard the Enterprise and we could get the whole crew back together that way. Uh, and the reason is that it just felt like the characters should have moved on with their lives sooner because it right. just drags on and on and on.
2: Well, and, you know, I, I can I can, I can, really agree with that. Um, you know, the the next generation characters, because they got seven years on the show feel stifled by the time they get to the movies whereas the the tos characters only have three seasons and so once you get to the movies you know it it makes sense for them you want to see them together longer um and and so yeah you really do run into this and you know some of the things in this comic kind of follow the novel verse chronology you know titan looks like the titan from uh the novels um uh you know uh, Riker having his own ship. Um, you know, it looks like Christine Vale is, is his uh exo there. Um, those kind of things. Um, but then, you know, other things don't follow that timeline, like, you know, obviously how they're using seven. Um the fact that Picard and, and um Crusher are not in a relationship was I was really disappointed in that this series actually started out with Picard and Vash of all people, one of the worst characters in Star Trek, if you ask me. I I hated her character with Picard because she just doesn't fit with him. Like, I mean, and I guess that's the point, you know, the opposites attract kind of thing. But yeah, for the long run, this is not going to be the guy. I I never picture Picard being the, uh, I'm going to make an intergalactic booty call. um, So Vash come running because I got needs. You know, I just don't feel like that's Picard. So (laughs) Uh I was really disappointed to see that, you know. So this this comic is is leaving me. Okay, it's all going to be about the end. Um and I'm getting the feeling that we're about to hit the big fancy red Voyager reset button. Uh because Oh yeah, of course. data, you know, comes back to the last page is, you know, data between universes from 500 years ago to to now. Um Yeah. And and I just really feel like, okay, you know, data was lost in Nemesis. This is kind of Braga's way of giving data back to them without having, you know, basically bringing data back to life through B4, just kind of ignoring that. And I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I just I just feel the reset button coming. And I think that's, I don't know. What do you think, Chris?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's where it's heading and uh, I think that's what Greg told me the same thing after he read it, too. He actually said, I'm hating this comic. <laughs> and, uh, and, he, and he wasn't like that until reading number three. But I think it's basically the same reasoning that you say that you it feels like, yeah, we're heading towards that reset button. And, well, um,
2: and this is this is one of those areas where I, I really wish, um, you know, maybe Brandon will come on. Um, and let us know. You know, just kind of his thought process. I'd love to talk to him about this and just kind of pick his brain. You know, why did you do this? You know, um, you know what made you use Seven like this? And because um, Seven seems really much more like she was at the beginning of Voyager when she first came on. You know, season right. four, or five, and then she does the character that she evolved into. Um, So I was very surprised to see that, you know, I just, I'd I'd love to, you know, kind of understand his, his creative process here because, you know, I I know Brandon and he's written some great episodes for Star Trek. Um, And, you know, some of his episodes have been some of the best we've had. Uh, And so I just love to see what he thought, you know, um, in, in doing this.
1: Yeah. It would be interesting. Yeah. What is the, the thought process? And I mean, to be honest, I don't mind; it's a comic. You can do whatever you want to do in the comic, and even if they hit a reset button here, it doesn't actually affect the Star Trek universe right, exactly. as we know it, because this is a self-contained comic story. Did you? It's notice... just the idea that things always end up that way, which becomes kind of right. frustrating. Yeah.
2: Did you notice on page uh, eighteen here, is that the is that the nexus? That they? Run that's into? exactly
1: what I said. Yes, that's what I said. I was reading it, and I got to that. I got to that frame, and I went. Oh, geez, is that the Nexus? That's what I said to myself <laughs> as I'm reading. And I don't... It doesn't actually say... I mean, in here, you can't... But but, but so, they're well, looking at the view screen, yeah. and you see it, and Riker says, Captain, and then on the next page, mm-hmm. Picard says, It can't be. And then you jump 500 years into the future.
2: And then the next scene... So I don't scene, know for yeah. sure. And the next scene, you come back... <laughs> It's the very last page of the comic on the view screen behind Picard. It looks like the Nexus has passed over them and data is standing between worlds between 500 yes. years in the future. And, you know, now or now in quotes, you can't see it because it's a podcast, but in quotes. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> right. uh, I, I, I really I think that this is. I have a feeling that and somehow this is the Nexus and, and that Brandon's going to use the Nexus um, in the storytelling um, of, you know, how this all gets fixed. Which, you know, I mean, the Nexus has only been used once and so uh, I'm, I'm not opposed to seeing it used. Um, but at this point, too, you can also make up any rule you want for it because we honestly don't know how it works.
1: But the thing about it being the nexus, and it does look like the nexus, and I think you're probably right. But on page 21, when half of Lacutus Picard is lying on the floor and he tells <laughs> Data the chamber just beyond the queen's alcove, it's a temporal displacement hub. So is he saying that the Borg queen like kind of has the nexus on the other side of her alcove? or can control the nexus, or, I mean, is he tying the nexus and the Borg together? That's somehow?
2: what I, yeah, I was wondering that, or if they had found a way to control the nexus, Um you know, yeah, to be able to maybe. call it or move it the way that, you know, temporal displacement hub, you know, that that's Technobabble, it can be anything you want, Um but I, I think maybe it might be some way of controlling the nexus, but, you know, Right We'll have to wait to for four to come out to actually find out exactly what Brandon has in mind for the end of the Borg.
1: Right, because you know that's what I call my d v r remote control. It's a temporal displacement hub. I can record shows when they're on, and I can watch them later.
2: that's true um i and I love being able to displace time like that um it's it's wonderful. Um, I actually feel that way when I talk to you because I'm displacing time (laughs) because I'm actually talking into the future. Uh, And so, you know, my words have to kind of elongate and then, you know, go through the subspace
1: (laughs) tunnel. And they stretch as they come here. Well, hey, what can I say? You know, I'm Future Guy. I am. Apparently, I am Captain Archer.
2: I want to welcome everybody to um, the interview portion today on Literary Treks. I'm uh, very excited to... Uh, have Una McCormick, um, prolific Star Trek author, um, recently just came out with brinkmanship in the Typhon Pack series. And so we're very pleased to have her with us today. Una, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Thanks very much, Matthew. Thanks for inviting me
2: along. Well, I'm so glad that you could be here, you know, just across the pond. So um, not too bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Of course, that means that my co-host, Chris, could not be with us because he's in Japan just waking up about now. Um,
0: Yes, it's probably a bit early in the morning for him. It is.
2: And so, um, but one of the things that, uh, especially when we have authors on the first time and uh, just kind of getting a chance to know you as an author and just a person connected Mm -hmm. with Star Trek is, you know, wanted to know what your first experience with Star Trek was, you know, um, what kind of made you a fan and... Uh, and then, and two, of course, for all Star Trek fans, what we always like to argue, what is your favorite yeah. series? <laughs>
0: oh, well, I think people can probably guess that, but um, <laughs> that's probably not very tricky. Um, well, I really was a late come out of Trek. I know lots of people uh, watch the original series maybe as children, or they watched it growing up. But um, mm-hmm. I think I just fell into a, a strange gap where it wasn't, because of the age I am, it wasn't on in Britain when I was growing up. So I grew up watching things like Doctor. Who" and Blake Seven.: okay. So I only um, came to Star Trek in the late 1980s, um, when the next generation started, uh, and when that started turning up in the U.K. So I was about um, 16 or 17 at the time, uh, I was very exciting. Um, Because, you know, I'd loved Doctor Who and I'd loved Blake 7 and Blake 7 had gone off air, and had been off for ages and there was Mm -hmm. nothing to watch. It was that horrible time in the 80s with no (laughs) sci-fi. And then these videotapes started started turning up at, you know, my local video rental shop and every um, couple of Fridays I would bunk off from school a little bit early and go and hire one of these tapes with two episodes on of Star Trek The Next Generation. So that's where I started with Trek. Uh, and then I, uh, some friends of mine used to get tapes um, in, sort of sent over from their friends in the States. So we get these little care packages of um, new episodes. It's like, you know, when the GIs used to, in World War, used to kind of give the Brits chocolates and stockings and yes, things. We'd yes, yes. These videotapes sent over, and they were terrible quality. You had to convert them, and we'd sit in a darkened room. It was like watching through a net curtain, and <laughs> we, we were getting these new episodes. And I'm watching it again at the moment. So it's being shown in HD in Britain. Oh yes, I I, yeah, and it looks fantastic. It Just looks great. And I, you know, I just remember seeing it. So, um, in all this, uh, you know, these terrible, <laughs> terrible copies that we had, but I still loved it. Just uh, it had a magic about mm-hmm. it. I think. Um, I think um, Next Gen of all the shows for me gives me that sense of wonder, you know, that people talk about with science fiction, that sense of space being limitless and opportunity and, and new things to explore and imagine. Mm. Um, so that's what I loved about um, about Next Gen. But of course it's Deep Space Nine that is my mm-hmm. favourite uh, of the tracks, Um because it was so complex. I think I'd, I loved the plot lines. I love how those stories developed and grew. I loved being with um, characters that developed and grew, grew as well. I think maybe the, the 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 characters on Next Gen are quite static in yes, many ways. Yes, very much um, so. They're, they're, yeah, they're archetypal rather than you know um, psychological, I guess. Um, and uh Stein has just so many characters, not just the the regulars, but you know the recurring characters. People like De Mar or Zial and these characters, mm. and then of course, there's Garrick, so, exactly. You know, uh, exactly. So, uh, so DS9 really is, I think, the one I loved, but next gen has a, a very special place in my heart, I think. Yeah, so that was my introduction to Trek.
2: <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, and I, I'm like you, I you know, I didn't really get into it, um, mm. until the next generation because of the age that I yeah. am, um, and so, yeah. and then. You know, I actually, though, my first show was was an original series episode because they used to Mm. just replay them here in the States, you know, at random times during the afternoon and um, yeah, kind of fell in love with it. And then, of course, the next gen happened. And but it wasn't really till Deep Space Nine that I got completely sold out.
0: Yeah. And you get hooked on that storyline, don't you? And uh, you just want to watch more and more and more. Whereas I think with the original and with next gen, you can drop in and out. Um, but DS Nine just just is compulsive, really. In the right. last few seasons, I think. Yeah. You, you've got to watch. You've got to watch. Yeah. Well, and like um, you
2: mentioned, you have so many characters on Deep Space Nine that you grow to love mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily the main characters. So, you know, you can mm-hmm. fall in love with somebody like um, Garrick or um, General Martok, or um, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. any of those. and you know, hundreds. There's twenty to thirty different characters that show up on Deep Absolutely. Space Nine regularly. Um, and mm. so y- any one of them, like for me, I loved when Zial showed up, I fell in love with that oh, character. she's a
0: great character, really, yeah. and really well performed by all three actresses. Exactly. <laughs> so, and, and
2: each yeah. actress brought something I felt like to that role that, that kind of made me fall in love with her more. Um, and yeah. I didn't never have a problem with that. You know, obviously she's a, she's a child growing up and so yeah. uh, she's going to mm-hmm. change. And so, but her final, um, her final actress and just her relationship with mm-hmm. Garrick is is so heartbreaking. Of course, it um, is. It's
0: it's a very good relationship. Very really beautifully acted. Really nuanced. I think they both actors do incredibly well with it. Yeah, um, yeah,
2: yeah. I love Andrew Robinson. Uh, he's one of the people that I would I think really enjoy meeting, um, because I think that you can just tell from her performance that he is a dynamic person in in general um very much and so. so yeah yeah um, um well with um you know being a star trek fan and, and so you got into deep space nine how hmm. did you get into writing is that something that you always knew you wanted to do and and then on top of that um how did you get into writing for star trek
0: yeah well i uh i think like you know many people who start out as you know, if you're a if you're a bit bookish and you like reading, and <laughs> you like reading as a child, you always do a little bit of writing. But I and I wrote a little bit as a, a teenager, but um not very much um because I was quite I was orientated towards uh, different subjects at school rather than English. Mm-hmm. I was uh, studying history and other other subjects, I think. Um and but when I was about sixteen or seventeen, so when I started watching Next Gen, I, I got uh, starting writing fan fiction. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, that was all based on Blake Seven, which is this um, very dodgy 1970s, early 80s <laughs> BBC science fiction show, which you may have seen. Um, I haven't seen it,
2: but I have. I do know what you're talking it. about. I'm going to have yeah. to look it up now.
0: It's kind of it's kind of legendary. I I always hesitate kind of recommending it to people because I love it without any kind of. Um, I've got no filters for it but it's very stagey very <laughs> 70s very very studio bound so uh, but some people it just works i think i think you just love it uh, and i'd watched it as a kid and um i just started writing fan fiction got involved in fandom um so i didn't really mu- write much fiction really mm-hmm. uh, and my ambitions were very serious i was going to be a very serious uh, academic so uh um, you know all my writing was to do with that really it was it was non fiction it was okay articles and essays and all this kind of thing
2: well on your non-fiction um what was mm. your main point of interest for that because that, that that's interesting to me at least
0: um well i ended up doing a phd in sociology Oh, okay uh, which uh i and if you asked me now what the subject of my phd was i, I couldn't tell you I would <laughs> struggle. i'd really really struggled to remember it's about 10, 10 years ago now since i got it uh so that that was the the route i was going down I oh, was okay going to um I was interested in online communication and online communities and um, theories of the information mm. society changes changes brought about by um uh, uh, computer technologies information and computer technologies yeah does
2: that sociology um, give you like a i think a love for then Cardassians? Is that maybe one of the reasons you
0: that certainly helped okay. I, I mean you know the big the big question in sociology is the relationship between an individual in their society yeah. and that's, that's a question that I think um, is is what I'm interested in looking at okay. in the Cardassian books, definitely. Mm. Yeah, so um, so, so that's the kind of writing I was doing and then as it was turning out that I really wasn't a very good academic at all, um, mainly because I was spending a lot of my time writing Deep Space Nine fan fiction. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, putting that up on the internet and um, you know posting it on little Usenet groups like um, if people remember it rec.arts.star trek creative, um, posting stories up there and um, enjoying myself a lot more doing that than I was actually doing my research. Um, and then one day out of the blue, I got an email uh, from somebody called Marco Palmieri. Yes, and um, yes, this was a name I'd seen um, online. Uh, And I knew he was the editor of the uh, Trek books at uh, Ranger Pocket. Um, And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I wonder why he's emailing me. Um, He must have made a mistake. And um, his email was saying that he'd had my writing recommended to him and would I like to pitch to the series. Uh, So I kind of fell off my chair and then... um, (laughs) Stood up, and then I kind of ran in the other room and told my other half, I said, you know, I can't you won't believe this. Is this a fake? But no, it wasn't. Um, so I pitched some story ideas to Marco, and uh, one of those eventually became Hollow Men, which is oh, um, yeah. one of my deep space yes. mind novels. Yeah. So it's um, Marco saved me from being a professional sociologist. That's um, his contribution. That's awesome. To- <laughs> The good of my discipline, <laughs> and then after that, I, I you know, I, I started writing, and I now teach um, creative writing. Oh, okay. At universities. Excellent. Yeah. So that's my uh, that's my day job now, Man, that's... Um, which I enjoy very much. Yeah. So that's all all thanks to Marco. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he's um, from what I've heard, you know, just um, from the authors talking mm. about Marco, they they really did seem to love him, and so. Um,
0: Yeah, phenomenally talented editor, just a a real eye for um, story, and uh, just a great, as somebody, as a creative person, uh, very creative himself, someone you want to collaborate mm with, um, with, I think, very good at bringing out ideas that you haven't articulated to yourself yet, Mm. and saying, well, try this, and you go, yes, that's exactly what I wanted to try, so a phenomenally talented editor.
2: Yeah, Yeah, and I, I remember watching... Uh, Trek books just kind of blossom I feel Mm. like under his leadership and and it's Mm. that spirit I think has really continued to what we've gotten today Mm. um and so I'd like to think so yeah yeah um well so
0: so that's how I ended up writing um you know it was all it was all an accident and I was supposed to be doing something else really
2: (laughs) isn't I, I think um it was the somebody said, you know, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. I think that's John Lennon. That's um,
0: that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, so, I think it is, so. Yeah.
2: And so, you know, that's exactly what happens, I think, to so many of us. We have plans and mm-hmm. then, um, you know, fate kind of steps in and gives us something that's else to it. do.
0: And you have to notice that actually you're enjoying the thing that you're doing and not enjoying the thing that you think you should be doing. And you're not doing it because you don't enjoy it. Exactly. You're doing this other thing. Uh, and just admit that to yourself. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a great way to make a
2: living. Um, great way to nearly make a living. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, I mean, I always, en- I do enjoy your books and especially uh, this, la- the latest one that came out, Brinkmanship was excellent, but I know that, um and I would be remiss without talking to you about your love for Cardassians. Um, oh, yes. And so yeah. I just wanted to kind of, um, you know, you got to, to start with Hollow Man and, and got to explore mm. deeper the probably the best episode I think of the deep space nine, which is in a pale moonlight and uh, kind of mm. the fallout of that episode. And, um, mm. you know, what is it about Cardassians, uh, that just, and even Garrick, um, that just really makes you so giddy.
0: <laughs> giddy. That's exactly the word. Very good. Uh, very good word. Yeah. Um, well, it's, I mean, it was, was Garrick that, that, that really, um, Perked my interest first, I think he 's so uh richly written, I think, like we were saying Andy Robinson is just a it 's an amazing performance you 're just glued to what he 's doing you You just want to watch it so i I can remember the moments where i thought hang on i 've got to is this character going to be in every week and it's um it's it's changes in um uh, way of the warrior where he 's been beaten up by the by the Klingons and uh, Bashir's going, oh, you know, you've really, you've really got beaten up because, of course, Garrett gets beaten up all the time, right? And Garrett and Garrett goes, oh, well, you know, I got off a few cutting remarks, exactly. So <laughs> clearly, you do a great deal of interest. I thought this is this is a character that I'm gonna I'm gonna watch, uh, and he's firstly he's a great deal of fun to write. That you know, if mm-hmm. you can get that dialogue right, yeah, uh, you're just having a hoot as you're writing. It's it's hilarious to do, um, but at the same time, there's obviously this extremely dark side, and I think his story is about um, the extent to which um, someone will go to try and earn the respect and, and love of, um, of of someone else who, in, in Garrick's case, is his father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, my, my reading of the character is that he consistently acts against his own better nature and his own better judgment to prove that he's, you know, a loyal servant. And I think that tension is um, is very productive and, and very, very interesting. Uh, and that that's really what captured me. You know, why does he keep on doing these th- things Things like torturing Odo, who's right. his friend, and um, the terrible things that he does. And you can see him not wanting to do them, and yet he will just push that little bit. Why is there no break? Um, and really that sort of became the question about Cardassia that interested me, that we when we see individual Cardassians, people like um, Natima Lang or you know T'Keniga um we go, mm-hmm. um, these are sophisticated, intelligent people. So how has the society produce them, and um, how does it produce people like Garrick or produce people like DeKatt, who I I think is monstrous? Yeah. Um, what kind of civilization? Does those two things at once has these mm. sophisticated, intelligent people, and this kind of brutality and, and cruelty to mm-hmm. it, um, and I think it's a very a very interesting dynamic to explore.
2: When you end up with, uh, you know, like Ducat uh, as a character, mm. who, uh, to me, is probably the quintessential megalomaniac. You know mm. he he has no idea um, uh, the. Ramifications of his actions because he only sees himself as being the good guy um, and that, that's right yeah. and everybody should love him you know uh, Garrick is wanting to be loved by his father and accepted by his father but Ducat thinks yeah. that everybody should love him because he's so awesome and why don't you yeah. see this you know and you see that especially in oh. Waltz. Um, and yes. S- yeah. So you have and
0: people consistently act, you know, react with horror and revulsion, and he's going, "What am I doing? You yeah. know, I'm a great guy. Exactly. I'm so wonderful." And, um, um, and... people going, "No, you're monstrous." <laughs> <laughs> well, and
2: then of course there's the great scene where cisco finally pushes him to admit who he really is, which is, "I wish they had all died. I wish I could have killed more. I, I hate them all." um You know, yeah. so his true self is revealed. Yeah. um, Yeah. And so, yeah, what and I think that this is what makes Deep Space Nine and the Cardassians probably one of the most amazing Mm -hmm. Star Trek races is because they have this depth to them.
0: Yeah. And even with Descartes, I mean, a, a character that I think is monstrous. There's a, a there's a genuine love for his daughter, yes. um, which uh, is very very compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, so Zial is someone that he makes great sacrifices for, and um, and doesn't kill, and takes her home, and it mm-hmm. costs him a career, and these kinds of things, and, and genuinely uh, grieves for her when she dies. Mm-hmm. So um, so even with a character who's almost like the worst product of a sort of military imperialist culture. Um, there's a great capacity for love and a and a great capacity for sacrifice, um, and so that those contradictions, I think, were very, very compelling and very mm-hmm. interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and that's what I tried to do with with Neverending Sacrifice was try and give some um, look at that as deeply as I could um, mm-hmm. and explore it as, as much as I could. Yeah. Yeah, So I do like Cardassians. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and it, it, I, I think again, you know, they are. The race that um, you can do so much with um, mm. because there are so many facets to them um, and mm. they have this desire, you know, like we see in your latest uh, book, Brinkmanship, they have this desire for structure and order uh, in their lives. Mm. And, um, you know, it kind of um, drives the agent to be um, drawn to the Zen way of life because she mm. misses that so much. Um, you know, Cardassia has is been destroyed and is rebuilding itself and is now in what she would probably consider complete chaos. Um,
0: It is, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, when the book is set, it's not as chaotic as perhaps it had been immediately after the Dominion War, but certainly in that character, I certainly thought there's a kind of um, hunger or longing Mm -hmm. for stability, uh, and that part of what makes her stay is um, not being able to face going home again. Yeah. Um, back to that chaos and that disorder, um, that she wants something much simpler, uh, and uh, really annihilates herself mm-hmm. in a way. Um, yeah. So that was the idea behind her. Yeah.
2: Um, well, interesting and character. I guess we might as well go ahead and and kind of jump into that a little bit, just because we're already there. Mm. Um, because you bring up this wonderful dichotomy between, um, you know, uh, Esri's best friend, one of her best friends, Peter uh and this um cardassian agent and the way that Mm. they view the idea of freedom um and so for this agent she views she's becoming to view freedom as that i don't have to choose that choice is is not freedom um whereas peter is the quintessential um you know american he's the uh, kind of Mm. character that that idea of i will pull myself up by my own bootstraps Um, The epitome of the West today, Um, Mm. you know, I must have all choices open to me or, you know, um, I'm losing something of of being human. Uh, And so that dichotomy to me was really interesting because it it also creates kind of a spiritual question as well. You know, in a lot of Mm. uh, religions, we have the idea of that true freedom isn't necessarily that I have all choices open to me um that's right and and so Mm -hmm. you you the way you weaved that question into this book i thought was masterful um and it might be missed if you're not if you're not reading carefully but i I think you know learning from you that you are um what your doctorate study was it makes complete Mm. sense why you would weave this in and so tell me a little bit about that um
0: yeah well um i don't really know where to where to start with this one really i think um I suppose when, um when I was thinking about this question um that st- freedom for me doesn't sort of exist it 's obviously not to do with limitless choice right, but in the kinds of choices that that are available to any of us mm-hmm. um, and that inevitably i mean just 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 because of the world we live in that choices any of the choices any of us can make are bounded in particular ways, either by the historical period we're born in or. Uh, factors to do with um, class or gender or ethnicity or all these kinds of things. And um, some people are historically more constrained. Some people today are more constrained. You know, if you're born into poverty, you're going to have fewer choices than people who are born into a much more um, privileged uh, background. That's you know, exactly. the, the nature of it. So so it's less to do with um, uh, number of choices, but the quality of those choices, mm. I think. Um but at the same time um it's interesting you say that uh, uh peter's um, peter's american because I, I always forget to write american <laughs> characters i i mean he's you know he's just got a british accent uh, in my head, but i think he does he is saying he is um uh responding to something that he finds quite repulsive about Zenkethi yeah. society i think the um subjugation of, of individual interest mm-hmm. or um, the expression of individuality to a collective, and that I think he finds repulsive. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, I think that uh, there's no such thing as as perfect freedom. There's, mm. um, if if it's okay to say, I, I think there's a kind of libertarian fantasy that um, one is not dependent on other people. Right. And um, and and that's simply not true. I I, I think that. We are all of us uh, extremely interconnected and embedded with mm-hmm. with everyone else, yeah. and that um, uh, to believe that we have, uh, you know, that that it's possible to have this complete individual freedom is, mm. um, I think, it's partly a delusion yeah. and, and partly denying the extent to which your liberties are dependent mm-hmm. upon the lack of liberty of others. Yes. Um, so I don't think Alden goes that far. I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a libertarian. Um, but but certainly, I think he responds to something about the um, suppression of mm. individuality in Zankethi society that that he finds disturbing and anathema, just completely um, not his culture, and that's that's why he responds. My backstory for Alden, which I, I think is subtext in the book, is that he's been an undercover agent um, on Absankathy himself, and so he's he's kind of had the same experience that you see with. Um, the Federation agent who 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 gets killed at the end, mm-hmm. um, Gardner. So he's he's sort of gone through the same thing and and possibly gone through the same sort of process that um, the Cardassian F. Henny goes through as well. Right. So it's certainly been a very disturbing experience for him to be um, amongst the Zankethi, uh, and that, I think, is um, part of the strength of his reaction. I don't know how much that comes out in the book. It's certainly um, my backstory for him. Um, so... Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but um, no. I... One of the reasons I stopped um, being an academic and became a novelist was so I could ask questions rather than answer them. <laughs> but, <laughs> well,
2: and I, I, um, I think you know, for me, honestly, when I'm I'm reading a a book, um, even mm. you know, doing these reviews now for Trek FM, and um, finding that the Star Trek authors are so good at uh, putting in these large questions, mm. um, and and no, we might not necessarily get the answers but that's what star trek has always done is to ask us mm, the absolutely. big questions um and if we yeah. fail to ask the big questions and i i think in a lot of ways it's the detriment of say something like voyager where it doesn't ask as many large questions um
0: i agree yeah and
2: so mm. not that it's a terrible show or anything like that but you know we you know mm. deep space 9 specifically loves to dive into the deepest darkest questions that we have and try yes. to give us some semblance of an answer and so yeah. this question... And Next
0: Gen as well, exactly. I think it kind of, yeah. you know, it does the morality play, sort of measure yes. of a man and that kind of thing. But um, uh, yes, I think there's usually a darker spin with um, Deep Space Nine, but, um, mm-hmm. but, but those big questions are always there, I think. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think that's lost in Voyager, sadly. Yeah. Um, uh, it just never finds a, uh, a central moral question to be asking itself, I think. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, and for me, until yeah. Kirsten started writing... Uh, I think, Ooh. and and her books have done that for that series. They yeah. have begun to really yeah. delve into that in the same way that all good Star Trek does, and I think she just brings yes. out um, all of the potential that that series had, and so that the show exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, no, it's a, a show is very lucky when it gets a, a writer like that. I mm-hmm. think who who really understands it and sort of brings a. Um, brings a questioning mind to it. I think that's yeah. fantastic.
2: Well, and I think that what's really interesting, too, is watching that, you know, Star Trek itself, um, it does have, um, from the original series, to next generation, Deep Space Nine, uh, and then even at Enterprise and some of Voyager, you know, it does have a morality. It does have a right and a wrong. Mm. Um, and there is a point to where, you know, we might respect you um, and your culture, but we mm-hmm. as the Federation have our own beliefs and, and Beverly in this book really um it comes to grips with that whole idea of, you know, the only way that we are going to um get people to see us as a as a power again is if we start believing in our actual way of life. If we believe yeah. that we are in some ways, uh I, I feel like Cisco might probably have that this righteousness about us that yes, what we are our cause <laughs> is just
0: um yeah and, and it helps to be you know the anointed one of the prophets That exactly of, you know, it really does
2: <laughs> um but, but but i thought that that was really interesting for something that beverly uh who's a character that mostly gets sidelined most of the times so in the next generation mm. to really come to the forefront and be dealing with these issues of our society um is so fearful right now that we are not living yeah. up to our best uh potential because we don't believe in ourselves anymore we're backpedaling yeah um and i yeah. i thought that that was just really another great point of there there has to be something that we think is worth living for um yes yeah and we have to believe thought, that it's right
0: yeah the way i sort of the way i sort of thought of um um beverly i had I had lots of things in mind when i was writing I particularly i would um seen gates mcfadden at a, a convention once and had um really been impressed with her she'd done a, a fantastic um Alan Bennett monologue. She was very witty. She was very kind and generous with her fans. So it was. I really wanted to, um, you know, pay a little tribute to her. Uh, and you know, as you say, this sense that that Beverly never really gets her her moment in the sun. Um, I uh, I thought of them almost like uh, I was thinking. Well, let's think of them like the baby boom generation. And you know, if you'd been young and a baby boomer, so. Um, maybe 18, 19, 20, mm-hmm. in the, the late 60s or the, the mid-60s, you must have felt limitless opportunity, I think particularly as a woman as well and um, you know, having the feminist movement happen. It must have felt like the, the whole world was opening up before you. Now, I'm the generation after, I'm Generation X, and yeah. you know, I've kind of come up and... You know your opportunity. You see it. You see it all implode, and you can't quite do as much as everyone else, and you can't <laughs> buy as big a house, and you know everything's expensive. And um, so I, 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 wanted to convey that sort of sense of almost um, perhaps the disappointment that baby boom must feel, looking back mm. to its youth and going, well, it didn't quite turn out as as marvelously as we expected. Mm-hmm. Um, Because we are going through one of those troughs, I think, Um, certainly over here in Europe and on your side of the pond as well, uh, just like we did in the 70s, where, you know, you feel things are in decline and there's a a crisis of confidence. Um, And I think to some extent there are are things we should have a crisis of confidence about um, in the West, things like um, the normalisation of torture, things like rendition. These are things that we should be concerned that have crept up and become acceptable in some way in our societies, uh, and then there's a great deal going on in Europe that's very, very worrying. There's, um, you know, the rise of neo-Nazi movements mm. in Greece and uh, practically a, a collapse of, of civil institutions in Greece. Mm. Um, and I, I think it's very important is that this makes you feel that we're, you know, back in the '30s in some way, and the collapse of confidence that happened then in democratic institutions, which, you know, weren't working very well, particularly in Germany. Yes. But that um, to to some extent you have to retain some kind of belief or confidence in those kinds of institutions um, because otherwise what you're going to get is is appalling.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and I suppose that's how I was thinking about the Federation, that, it, that it's come through two very bad wars. It's had the Dominion War. It's had the stuff that happens in Destiny um the trilogy and um and that the, this sense of crisis people need to be saying well things are bad but you know my my god they can be a lot worse mm. um and um and so i think it's important to keep hope or keep optimism or keep a sense of well these things went wrong these things are going badly so we've got to think about what's what's core to us and I'm quite, I mean, I know it's we're in the middle of a very bad recession. Things are quite bad in parts of Britain and, you know, many many people in our society. But I, I, I do feel optimistic. I think you had a very interesting um, presidential election. <laughs> yeah. And I think lots and lots of people who, uh, you know, there's some pretty nasty demagogues who, you know, suddenly were faced with a realisation that actually most americans didn't agree with them (laughs) and i think here in britain as well you know we've had we we had a very interesting summer where we had you know the olympics which was like this sort of great you know how grumpy british people are and we've spent (laughs) eight years saying the olympics is going to be terrible it's going to be awful it's going to be embarrassing one opening ceremony we're all in floods of tears waving (laughs) the union jack going, thank God for the NHS and these kinds of things. So I think this kind of, um, even in the bad times, you have to look and say, well, what what counts? And what did we get yeah. wrong? And let's go back to that and think, and what counts to us is um, an open society, democratic institutions, yes. speaking from hope and a sense of community rather than from hate and a, and a sense of trying to... Yeah set people against each other. So that was what I wanted to do with Beverly, I think. Mm. Um, give give her that voice of disappointment, but at the same time say, well, we can't lose sight of, of what matters. Um, so that was the thinking, I
2: think. Mm. It reminds me just a little bit of, um, I was reading this last year, mm. um, the first biography of Teddy Roosevelt by Edmund Mon- uh, Morris. And, oh, right. um, you know, for him, the idea of American exceptionalism um, and but mm. and, and not necessarily always being a good thing. Um, I don't want anybody to hear me say that. But what I loved <laughs> about um, that idea is that he had something very firm to believe in and a hope
1: mm. of what
2: he saw America could be um, and, mm. and, and even around the world. And in the same way you were just speaking about, you know, um, all of Britain being able to come together over the Olympics and find those things that they really can feel good an exceptional in, um, mm. and it's the same way Beverly here um, having to, to wrestle with those issues. Okay, what is it about mm. us that it is exceptional and worthy of belief in, and what isn't? Yes, um, yeah. And you know, some of the th- and I
0: think particularly at that moment in the story where she she realizes that she's been used. Yes. She's been a patsy, basically. Yes. Well, why am I here? What 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 is the point to me? And um, you know, well, because I the, there is something I do believe in, um, so she's she's having to tell herself that to um, make herself a little happier about her situation. Yes. I think,
2: yeah. Uh, and I found uh, that just to be something that'll be, I hope, will be something that carried on in the Typhoon Pack series um, mm. is is to watch, hopefully, the Federation um, find a way to rise in a way that. Mm. Um, is with its principles. Um, you you yeah. know, uh, Admiral akar being so um, kind of forceful with the idea of having Cardassia as part of the Federation, um, mm. I believe his motives are are wonderful, but I'm not sure necessarily if his methods are um, so kosher. Um, yeah. And, yeah. But the idea that he has, okay, we want, you know, Cardassia and the Federation to be... Sympatica. we never want anybody to be able to mm. think anymore that they would be at war we want them to be as close as we are to the Vulcans basically um yeah uh, I yeah. love that idea but uh watching yeah. some of the machinations behind the scenes this Machiavellian <laughs> type uh use of people for general yeah. benefit is you know oh, what is good here and what is bad here and is is this bad um intelligence mm. work or not and and those are some great questions you ask in this book again you know you're asking mm. uh we have to find and especially in this idea of this kind of cold war we're playing the same way mm. you know the west did with the russians how far is too far mm. here um to protect our yeah. ideals and
0: uh yeah and uh a lot of this is i've I read a lot of sean the Carré at one point so um a lot of this is uh, is mm. in uh, certainly when I reflect about this, and particularly when you're doing a kind of quasi Cold War setting, that's exactly the questions that he's asking through his um, Smiley novels. Yes. You know, um, uh, how? What tools are we prepared to use mm-hmm. to turn to defeat our enemy, and does it turn us into our enemy? Uh, mm. And I think these are very, um, you know, these are these are permanently interesting questions mm. to ask. Which, um, of course, so it, it, yeah
2: you had. Asked, I mean, uh, within Hollow Men, you know, with the mm. choice that Cisco makes, um, and uh, mm. the, the the kind of the questions that Deep Space Nine asks in general, with um, mm. Section Thirty One, um, do the ends yeah. justify the means? Uh, and yeah, you know, we wring our hands in answering that. Maybe sometimes they do. We're not sure. Yeah, because we're not sure what yeah. that makes us in the end. Um, yes.
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And in, in... Uh, I do love that episode. I love, I love watching Garrick's slow corruption of Cisco. It's yes. like he, yeah, it's, uh, it's horrible to watch. Actually, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, he just, he just, it's clear that Garrick knows what he's going to have to do mm-hmm. right at the start. Yes. But he's got to take Cisco. You know, he's got to take Cisco down the road to hell first. Um, yeah. To get his consent, and he, and he reels him in. It's, <laughs> it's quite disturbing to watch, actually. Well, um, and, to, and beautifully performed, yeah. And to yeah. watch
2: Cisco have to say that line, you know, the road to hell is paid with good intentions. Uh, yeah, and I love, exactly you that. know, even then that this idea of like uh, good, evil, heaven, hell, um, that we know that something is intrinsically wrong, that there is some sort of like mm-hmm. um, way that we can understand, okay, this is always wrong this is, you know, that yeah. uh, there is an absolute. I, I think uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine really wrestles with that question because it also deals with so much grey. Um, yes, it um, does. Yeah. But, you know, the storyline in the end is that um, there is a there is an absolute good, there is an absolute evil, and we embody those mm. in in the end in the character of Cisco and then in the character of Dukat. Um, and yes. so they play out that kind of cosmic battle.
0: Yeah, and at the same time you have this you have this personal story of a character like kira who is uh is devout and has very yes. clear beliefs um and who at the same time her life has been a uh, the conditions of her life um the what the situation she's born into going back to these things we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier about choice uh, she's had to um kill people yes. from a very young age she's had to be brutal she's had to she's had to be a terrorist um and, and do bad things simply in order to survive. I think she's a I think she's a very, very good character, it's a very mm. interesting character.
2: Just watching um, through the series with my girlfriend and and she's never seen the whole mm. of Deep Space Nine and so oh. Kira Kira's actually her favourite character. Um she yeah, yeah. really responds to the way that Kira's been written and, and her storyline being mm. probably one of the strongest in the c- series. Um
0: I think it is yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and very well performed. I think it's a, it's just a super... Per- yes. Well, I, I think the whole of DS9 yes. is, is very well performed. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I completely agree. Well, one of the things that I, I really... I, I even praised you in the review for, I loved that the female characters in Star Trek mm. um, got to shine in this book. Um, many times uh, it is a boys' club, um, mm-hmm. and I love Star Trek, but, uh, you know, a lot of times we get kind of the short shift with the female characters... Um, Troy is Especially annoying, me. and and Seven wears a cat suit. Not that I'm complaining about that yeah. as a as a gentleman, um, but uh, you. In this book, I found the female characters to be the standouts. I felt like um, Crusher should have actually been on the cover with Esri, um, mm. because she has so much more. I felt like to do with the story in the end than even Picard. Um, tell mm-hmm. me just a little bit about that, and, and writing those female characters, and and what you were hoping to see. Um, Happen with well,
0: um, I had an idea that um, because I get I get quite grumpy about the lack of uh, you know seeing badly written female characters, seeing female characters sidelined, and you think, okay, well I've got I've got a platform, I'm getting to do a Star Trek book. Why don't I write um, all the point of view characters as as women? Why don't I make them all female characters? Um, So I think I was feeling quite grumpy. (laughs) <laughs> and I made that decision, uh, which is you know good enough reason let let 's just go let 's just go for it. I thought, um, and as, as it turned out i, um, I had to I, I had to bring in the character of um, the Cardassian um, Glyn dygan. Mm-hmm. I had to bring him forward as a point of view character, but I, I think mostly uh, we we stay yeah i think i 've got four points of view honey the, the other three it 's esri it 's beverly and it 's the um, it's It's Henny, the Cardassian spy, mm-hmm. and Dagon is the other point of view yeah. so um so I thought, I thought this would be an interesting experiment to push forward female characters as much as possible, and then uh, when I realized I needed Dagon, then you, you always choose yeah. um, what the story is doing rather than didactically you know let, let, a, let a let a kind of didactic goal drive your story, so for storytelling purposes, I needed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on top of that I decided to go for as much parity as possible that whenever I needed a kind of supporting character uh, I, would, I would try and get um, complete parity between male, male and mm-hmm. female characters Yes. Um, so it wasn't that I was uh, um, uh, only writing women but that there was a, a genuine balance uh, and uh, I think I did that um, I, I think there's possibly one more name uh woman and um, one, one of my supporting one of my supporting characters i i don't identify which gender they are um so so it's a bit hazy mm-hmm. um but um i you know it mostly came out of grumpiness and i thought well i'm just i'm just going to give it a go um the the Venette, the I forgot, I forgot how you pronounce it now uh, the Vanette convention has um uh, lots of them are named after feminist science fiction writers and oh, there's okay. lots of nods to. People like Joanna Russ and Ursula Le Guin and Monique Wittig, so I thought I'd kind of homage them, and it, it's also the society is based on um, a lot of kind of '70s feminist utopias and consensus decision making and and that kind of thing. So I'm having a little bit of fun there, <laughs> um, and um, I, I I just think it you know I think it turned out okay. I think it was it was it was nice to do this experiment. I think to prove that you genuinely can um, foreground female characters and make it um, not a big deal. It wasn't that they were women. It was that they were uh, an ambassador yeah. or a doctor or a exactly. spy or a captain. So you've got Ilka, the Ferengi. I loved um, her. You have Alice I, I I was very proud of Ilka, actually. Yeah. She's I a, hope that she um, comes uh, back
2: because she was brilliant.
0: Yeah, real sort of, you know, a Ferengi feminist um, and uh, and think what a, you know, extraordinary life. A uh, someone like that would have to lead to be able to um, you know come through all that. Um, so I, w- I was pleased with her, and I thought, well, you know, I'll just try and prove that you can do this, and that means you can write rich female characters, and that their gender doesn't matter. Um, that you just need to write them as people, and um, I think it worked. I think it. I think it came off okay. Mm. Mm.
2: No, I definitely uh, think that it does, and. Um, you know, on, on the other side, um, you know, Ezri is the character that I think a lot of Deep Space Nine can- fans were not happy to have. Um, uh, a lot of fans kind of complain about her character um, mm. and, and the fact that why couldn't we just, you know, not have another Dax? Um, yeah. You know, to me, I, I've got a picture of Nicole on my wall. It's signed. <laughs> I love Esri, um, mainly because it was actually the perfect opportunity to explore um trill society from a whole new point of view um what is it like Mm. to be a trill who's not necessarily ready for this um and i thought it was really Mm. smart so for me she completely works um and now her being a captain um Mm. and trying to come into her own as a captain yeah um tell me about one you just in general what your thoughts were on Esri and and writing her and and, I mean she really gets the shine in this book so um, for for me being a fan what were your thoughts on one Esri when she came onto the show and then now having to write her as a captain and and all that that means Mm. for that character
0: well I really loved Esri as well I mean you know Jazir is an amazing character. And um, it, it's a great performance by Terry Farrell. It's yes. got such poise and such mischief. It's a really, really good character. So mm-hmm. it's such a hard act to follow. Yes. And then de- Nicole de Burgess comes on, and it's it, it's great. She's she's completely different. It's very fresh. It's very uh, vulnerable. Uh, it's very sweet. A lot of her performance, and um, I really identify with Esri because I'm I'm quite short. Uh, I'm the youngest of six <laughs> children, so it's like I've always got these elders and betters ahead of me, like my, you know, uh, eight lives before me. And I'm also the kind of person that would, would, will fall over my feet. So I've got none of Jadzia's poise, <laughs> and none of her glamour. And Esri is completely the kind of person that I am. So I, I really identified with her. Uh, I, I think it's lovely. I, th- I think probably in the season, uh, that season seven, um, Perhaps they spent too much time mm-hmm. uh delving into the character and trying to foreground her rather than I think by that point really we we just wanted to be embedded in the the ongoing narrative. I understand yeah. why they did it, and um I don't mind because I like the performance, but I think there were other um there were other um things they could have been doing at that time. I love the episode she has with uh, with Garrick, which has many yes. flaws as a as a story, but uh, again a, a really clever pair of characters to put together. So, um, so I, I love Esri, Esri as a character. I, under, I understand the, the sort of sense of loss for Jadzia, who's also a, a great character. Um, but then it was interesting to 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 then have to go. Well, now we've got someone who's much, much older, has had this, uh, has had, a, a, has been a host for a long time, um, and how she will have changed, and yet somehow to still make that feel consistently Esri. Because I think if my my sense of how you write the trill is that that you have to have a proper symbiosis. It's got to be both Dax and the current host. Yes. So you want something Ezra-ish to come through, and for me um, that's kind of um, fast talking, thinking on her feet, um, verbalising what she's thinking, and and it was that kind of um, almost nervous energy that I I tried to convey with her. Um, and then it was great to kind of give her a moment where she's kind of going to her old friends. You, you know, sit down and shut up, Mister, because, you know, I've got all this experience and all this, uh, um, all this, you know, uh, um, all this stuff to draw on. That's at, at least as good as yours. So it was, it was nice to give her a kind of, you know, sit down and shut up moment. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you know, I, I wrote her very, very happily. I, I yeah, enjoy writing her. Um, it's a good character.
2: She uh, – I, I was just reading um, David Mack's uh, second Destiny book, Mere um, Mortals, and uh, getting to see her juxtaposed to Picard. Um, and the fact that, you know, especially in that series, I felt like Ezri is Picard years ago, the ever explorer, the uber excitement for everything. And yet um, she does have a lot more wisdom than she would have at her age because yeah. – um, and, yes. and, 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 and that. Kind of old soul way that Picard always feels like he's been. Um,
0: that's a really nice take on her. I, I like that very much. Yeah. yeah
2: and I think um, that's what I loved about her is that she's adorable on the outside. And yet you get this feeling from her that there's always something so much deeper going on. Um, even if Esri can't necessarily always figure out how to say it. Um,
0: yes, exactly. And
2: so I've really. Um, en-
0: and then when you. When you get to her, sort of ten years later, she's more practiced at that, and yes. it feels much more integrated. I think she's got the hang of. Um, yeah. she's got the hang of all this stuff that's going on inside her. I think so. Uh, yeah, oh, I like that idea of her being a sort of um, version of Picard. That's an interesting yeah. one. Yeah, hmm, I shall have to think about
2: <laughs> that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'll, I'll be excited to. I'm. I'm really hoping to to see. Um, I I would love um, almost for the Aventine to get its own series and mm-hmm. to allow her to not just show up as as kind of cameos and books but to really take a forefront in some books um yeah because yeah. I, and i would love for you to write her because i I really enjoyed the way she came off in this book um Yours, thank yeah, you very much. so thank you w- the one of the things just in general with the Typhon series has been this kind of mm-hmm. um interconnected but kind of separate storyline um, how mm. how was that working on um and um because i know that that's a lot of information to try and keep up with as a writer so just kind of tell me what that's like this mm. is a this is a lot to take in as a writer um and mm. um how does that work
0: um well part of what you're being hired for is to be to be up to speed um and uh, uh, i haven't um I hadn't written a Trek book in quite some time, and I was quite far behind on my reading, so I had to quite rapidly get up to speed. Uh, partly I was, uh, you know, you, you draw on the editor that you're working with who is the person really who is um, uh, looking after all of this and is, is kind of the keeper of the flame. Um, in a way, if I'm, if I'm feeling uncertain, then I try and devise a story that maybe feels a little bit more standalone, uh, and I think possibly Brinkmanship. Um, you it could stand alone you could read it and um uh not necessarily feel that it was uh det- detracting from the ongoing storyline yes. so i like to give myself a bit of liberty to 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 take the general situation but to tell us almost like an episode um in that main setting so that was really what i thought with Brinkmanship. uh i suspect it's more of a standalone book um but uh you know i take the broad concept this idea of a uh, a Cold War in Space, uh, and then I, I just came up with a very high concept idea. I just said, "Well, you know, what's the most Cold War story I can think of?" And that's the Cuban Missile yes. Crisis, uh, which was pretty much my pitch. I said, "Let's do that in space," and um, the commissioners went, "Yep, we're we're up for that." And and that that was pretty much where the book came from. Mm. So, uh, so yeah, so yeah, I yeah, it is more standalone, I think, yeah.
2: And I liked that because um, you know the the interconnectedness can sometimes get away with us, mm-hmm. um, and and mm-hmm. to kind of feel like it, David Mac uh, addressed this a little bit in the in his newest series, and he was mm-hmm. I think it was either an interview I was reading of his, and he was just talking about you know you. We do try to have you want to read everything but not have to read mm. everything. And what I liked about Breakmanship yeah. is that I could just jump into it honestly. Um, if I'd read Destiny, yeah. I could still jump into this and I would probably be okay. And, and uh, the character study that you do in this book I think makes it so worth it as a read um, because mm. um, you really are getting to see um, a lot of good character development for somebody that you don't mm. like um, Crusher. Um, you know, poor character who who you know Gates mm. is a fantastic actress and deserves so much better. I feel like than she got. Um, yes,
0: very much so. Uh, yeah,
2: she really had the chops. And I mean, and unfortunately, what we give her is Sub Rosa, one of probably the worst episodes ever. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but in seven seasons exactly, yeah. and <laughs> she but she, the way that she's shining here in your book, and then what David I think picked up in his newest. Um, cold equation series with her is is mm. fantastic and then to watch her and Picard be married and really see that change their lives um is excellent mm. and
0: particularly with Picard I think and uh, yeah
2: that man uh, it's
0: almost like she's the, the she's the experienced one the adults in the relationship in many ways it's, yes she's been here yes. before and he's going is this how it works and yeah this is how it works yes. and, um, well, yeah, and and,
2: and then, of course, you know, in, in David's new book, to watch him, mm. to have to deal with, um, okay, I love this woman and it's changing everything about me from the explorer mm. that I used to be, the, the captain that I used to be, to the man that I am now. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. It's – yeah. Yeah, so.
0: no, he's doing a great job with it. Very, very good. Um,
2: yeah. So for, for just being the, the, the author in, in Star Trek, um, do you generally – to try to keep up and and read along with the series as they're coming out.
0: Oh, absolutely! Particularly now, I'm um, I I've been writing for them again. I mean, I um I went off and did a couple of Doctor Who novels, mm-hmm. so I uh, I did fall behind in my reading then. But yes, I do keep up because um, uh, you have to. Yeah, you, you couldn't. You you couldn't write a book and not be not be up to speed on what was happening. So uh, it it's part of the job in a way. Yeah. Uh, and and I do enjoy it. So <laughs> yeah. A, you know, it's a, they're fun to read. Is the other thing. Yeah.
2: Well, what are the one of the things that I love to ask the authors because I always find it interesting. Is mm. for me, I'm a I'm a huge reader. Uh, I read all sorts of things. Um, you know, if, if it strikes my fancy, I'll pick it up. Um, but what is it that's beyond Trek that you enjoy? Just if I, if you're going to peruse a bookstore, um, you, that you might pick up and find really interesting, the things that you like to read.
0: Um, well, I really, I really do read anything. I, I really will read anything, um, and I, I'll limit that by saying um, I'm talking about novels so when I say that. I don't read a great deal of poetry or drama, or I don't read much nonfiction either. I find it a bit heavy going. I feel like I've, <laughs> I've done my time in those salt mines. <laughs> Um, So I read a lot of novels, uh, and I really will read anything. I'll read science fiction, I'll read fantasy, I'll read crime, I'll read (laughs) chicklets, children's fiction, I read fan fiction, I read literary fiction, I really will read everything. Um, I was just flipping back through my Kindle to see what my most recent reads were. I'd just read a a Marion Keys, which is a a, a chicklet novel. Yes. Uh, I'd read a book by an author called Liz Jensen. Uh, called the Uninvited, which is uh, it's a really interesting science fiction novel. Actually, it's kind of cross between a John Wyndham and a 70s film called Don't Look Now. Okay. Um, yeah, she's a, it was a good book. Um, I, I think I'll explore more by her, Liz Jensen. Uh, I'm reading some short stories by Kelly Link, and I'm reading Catherine Mansfield's journal. Uh, and then I also I teach writing as well, and we. Um, uh, I set texts for um, uh, some of my classes, and the last one I read for that was um, the brief wondrous life of Oscar Wilde oh. by Juno Diaz.
2: Yes, yes, which
0: I would r- really recommend to to anyone who um, was a was a geeky child growing up in the 70s and 80s. Uh, it really is a a wonderful book, and I love teaching it. My students absolutely adore it, and um, he's a phenomenal writer. Um, so, I'd, I'd recommend that. Uh, and then, of course, I've been reading David and Mack's Cold Equations. Yes. And I've been reading a Blake Seven novel. Excellent. Um, by a friend of mine called Scott Harrison, yeah, which just come out from Big Finish. So, um, so yeah, I really, so if it's a novel, I'll read it. So I really will. Um, I, I really will. I'll read Toothpaste Tubes if I'm
2: desperate. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, did you get a chance to read Casual Vacancy?
0: Not yet. No, no. One of my students uh, is a great Rowling fan and has been pressing on it. Did you enjoy it? Have you read it? You know,
2: I did. Um, I have my Mm. my own personal blog that um, I write reviews Mm. for and and I read Casual Vacancy. And I I find Mm. it, um, I believe what uh, JK is doing is uh, giving us a book that is akin to To Kill a Mockingbird
0: so you think that casual vacancy is like to kill a mockingbird (laughs) because of what
2: yes because of what she's doing um with the idea of race and class and Mm -hmm. um poverty Uh, i think that those are very uh, akin to the way you know african americans were treated in the south um we Mm -hmm. tend to treat the poor like that um And so what she's doing in that and bringing that to the forefront and all of its disgusting grotesqueness, um, Mm. I I think, uh, will be seen later on as being very important. I think now people Mm. are responding to it not so kindly because they don't like being shown uh, what's so ugly about our society. Um, And so – and JK has a way of doing that um that mm. is a uh, very poignant um she did it all through harry um and mm. if you were paying attention uh and she does mm-hmm. it now and so yes i i do think that you will enjoy it it is not an easy read i mean it's not um yeah you know, but it's i think an important one uh and so yeah i'm very oh, i'll certainly get around
0: to reading it yeah, yeah it's uh inevitable it really yeah
2: well the last thing that we always like to have um the authors do is is one um uh, just to share with our listeners what you're working on um what's coming up for you so that they know uh mm. what to be on the lookout for whether trek or otherwise.
0: Mhm. Uh well I guess um I suppose listeners will be interested to know that I'm I'm doing another trek book next year. Yes. Uh yes. <laughs> And that's part of a, a five-book series. That's, ah, um, the fall. That's happening. The fall, indeed. Uh, so that's with uh, David Mack and Dayton Ward, and Jim Swallow and um, David R. George. Ah,
2: uh, I love you all. So,
0: yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, yes, so that, that's a that's a very interesting project. The um, the idea is that uh, the the story across the, the the five books takes place across about I think it takes. Across about thirty or so days, um, so quite a lot happens. A few things change, um, and the idea is that although the individual books are, are standalone, you get more if you follow the whole yeah. story. Um, yeah, and you'll you'll see uh, quite a lot of the major players. from Excellent. You know, the twenty-fourth century. Yeah. Are
2: you uh, and writing specifically with one crew? Um...
0: Uh, I'm writing a book set on Cardassia.
2: Awesome.
0: Uh, so going going back to that, and uh, it will involve Picard and Garrick.
2: Excellent! Ooh, that's a good pairing right there.
0: I know. I was very. I'm very excited. Uh, so uh, a, you can imagine. I'm the verbal I'm sparring a great that you time. could have between those yeah, two. Yeah, exactly. Uh. Which one of them is red? the most this oh, is the yeah mission, so. well the shakespearean
2: actor <laughs> yeah. against uh you know the the the, the other shakespearean exactly actor. <laughs> uh the cardassian shakespeare whoever that was actor. Um, that's
0: exactly that yeah i'll have to think of that actually
2: <laughs> there you go that's you so, uh, we, we needed to create the 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 wow that's going to be hard the equivalent. yeah Ooh, oh yeah. you have a lot of work ahead yeah. of
0: you i do yeah <laughs> i do very much so so that's what I'm up to right now. That's that's keeping me busy, and will will keep me busy over Christmas. So, Excellent. Um, you can think of me whilst you're enjoying Christmas. I I will. I will. Um, well, throwing bombo around between a cars and boats.
2: Well, what um what where can our listeners follow you? What are the places that our listeners can get in touch with you and and uh, you know praise you for your work and ask you questions? And and where are those kind of places?
0: Well, they're very welcome to find me on Twitter, which is uh, I have the. Um, uh, in, inspired disguise of una McCormack is oh goodness we 'll never guy. find you now you 'll never find me you 'll never take me alive um, and you can find out what i 've had for lunch and what the weather 's like <laughs> and uh, where i am and so oh, um, i 'm rewatching i think I said earlier uh, next gen is being repeated uh, yes. in h d so i'm uh, i 'm watching that at the moment and uh, i 'm usually being quite sarcastic about it but in a in a very affectionate way so if if people want to read my um, my late night tweets as I uh, rewatched the next generation. <laughs> You're very welcome to.
2: Well, there's there's <laughs> We've quite a bit. we just
0: when silence has oh, loose. So yeah. um, there's a lot yeah. to be sarcastic well, I, I about d- in the first season. I couldn't season. even find anything to say about that. Oh. I was, I think, I was eating my dinner. So um, yeah. yeah, I hope so, you didn't lose uh, it. So, I, didn't, <laughs> no, I just just managed to hang on to it. Yeah, I think I was yeah, I was mostly looking at the wall, um, but uh, but yeah. So I, I I'm easily findable on Twitter okay. and. Um, that's where i'm saying uh, inconsequential things a lot of the time
2: <laughs> and you do have your own website as well correct i
0: do i i, do, I don't find time to blog these days sadly i think um blogging's so last decade isn't it it's so um uh when did we have time yeah. to blog so um, it's hard I, to find I don't it believe blog as me much as I used to. um yeah having it, my it's own. really difficult and you feel you you have to have something to say and and mostly all i've got to say is about 140 characters worth. So, um, uh, so I don't blog as much as I used to, but um, occasionally uh, something comes up and I'll I'll post about it. Yeah, uh, yeah. My website's just UnaMcormack.com, okay. but mostly everything turns up on Twitter now. Great.
2: Yeah. Well, Una, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, it's been a, a real honor and a privilege to get to to talk to you, and and I um, I cannot wait to have you back um, for the thank fall. You. In fact oh man I wish somehow we could just have a huge one where all of you get together and you, we can all talk about uh, it I don't know how that would work but that um, would be
0: fantastic yeah that would we be really I'm sure we can do it yeah so that, would that
2: be, we might have yeah. to try and do that I know Dayton would be game and and uh, I really want to get David on here because I love his work and his his newest book mm. is coming out next month uh in, in the uh, TOS era and so I'm hoping to get him on so we can talk about that and so Um, But I really appreciate it. It's been just a a
1: joy.
0: I've really enjoyed it. Thanks very much for inviting me. So uh, thank you very much.
1: Well, Matthew, that was a fascinating interview with Una McCormick. I'm really sad that I wasn't able to be there with you for that interview. It's so hard for us to coordinate time zones. And with you being in Texas and me being in Japan and her being in England, it just... Just going to work out, but uh, it was great fun listening back as I did the editing.
2: It really was a good time um una was is fantastic um I really enjoyed speaking with her uh, you know she's written um a few different um, books and different series, and getting to work with the Cardassians was a very interesting conversation we got to have uh, about um Garrick and Dukat and just that whole species of of alien. I think it was really interesting. I really enjoyed that. Um, And then getting to talk about her new book and um, Brinkmanship and how that's working in the Typhon Pack and what's coming up for her. I was really excited. Um, You know, people should be following her on Twitter. Um, She watches uh, the shows back. She'll be watching, you know, D Space Nine or Next Generation or something like that. She'll be tweeting to you. So, um, yeah, she's definitely worth a follow, and, and her books are fantastic. So, Uh, If you haven't ever read an Uma McCormick book, um, go out and get Brinkmanship. If you're not up on that, get her Greater Than the Sum, uh, which is her big, uh, amazing Cardassian book. She also wrote the sequel to In the Pale Moonlight called Hollow Men, um, dealing with Garrick and and Sisko and kind of the fallout of what happens in that episode. So that's another fantastic book. So um, definitely go and check out her work.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Great books there. Very, very good ones. All right. Well, let's tell everyone where they can find us if they'd like to share their thoughts on anything we talked about in news or uh, your interview with Una. Just go to trek.afilm slash contact. There's a form there, and you can choose literary treks and send us a message. That'll come to Matthew and myself. And of course, you can post in the comments on the show page. And the show page for this episode is at trek.afilm slash LT4. And we'd also like to remind you to visit the overall site at Trek.fm. We have 10 shows on the network covering everything from deep episode discussion to uh, discussion of broad topics. Uh, We talk to scientists. uh, We talk to uh, creatives. We even talk about the work of Star Trek creatives outside of star trek we uh, and star trek online if you play that game as well there's just something for everyone on the network so go check that out if you go to trek.fm slash pd that will get you to the podcast directory and if you'd also like to follow us in social media you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm and you can find us on google plus at hyperchannel trekfmg plus and, of course, you can find us on Twitter at username TrekFM. Now, Matthew, what if people want to follow you?
2: Well, I am, of course, all over the website there at TrekFM doing the book reviews. Um, got a new one coming out, uh, Federation for 150 Years, so that'll be out soon. Um, as well as you can find me on the Twitters. Uh, I am Matt Rushing 2 um, not running for office any time soon. Um or even in the past. I'm not going to try and go back and change history. Um, just, just not interested in that. Too much work. Um, but uh, talk all sorts of things. Movies, uh, of course. Big fan of Man of Steel. Can't wait for that to come out. Uh, the Hobbits. Uh, you know, just anything you want to talk about, I'll be talking.
1: Excellent. And if anyone wants to find me, I'm on Twitter as well. My username is c brian jones. That's Brian with a Y. And uh, that's my name pretty much everywhere. So no matter where you go in terms of social media, you can look me up, see Brian Jones, Brian with a Y. Um, Of course, I talk about Star Trek. I also talk a lot about Japan, college football, design. I'm a designer, Uh, all sorts of things, Uh, music, quite a lot. So uh, give me a follow. Well, Matthew, I guess that's about it for uh, this week's show. Uh, I guess we should remind everyone to go to iTunes uh, if you'd like to leave us a rating leave us a review Uh, can help our young show climb its way up through the mysterious ranking system of iTunes. So a few more people will be able to find the show,
2: which would be great. I just want to thank everyone who already has done that. We really appreciate your support. It's been a blast doing this show so far, but we can't do it without you. We really appreciate listening, letting people know we're out there. So thank you for your iTunes reviews. Continue um, to spread the word about us so we can continue to have the authors on And bring you news about books and comics and everything else in between
1: yeah we definitely appreciate your support and everyone listening so until next time enjoy your books and we will see you on the next literary tricks you call that light reading to each his own number one